I'll go ahead and get started with what uh, what was on my mind for today. So I'm sorry that we can't do um, uh, some live worship or um, some live meditation. Maybe before this is all said and done, we can go back down to the church, 10 of us, and f- figure out how to stream something from there. But anyway, for now, we'll be doing this uh, every morning. We'll have something at 10 in the morning if we're not live streaming. And back to live streaming soon, and I'll keep doing uh, the live videos. For those of you that don't know, I work uh, at CSU Pueblo at the Colorado State University is what that stands for. And um, this is my spring break, so uh, I'm taking a bit of a break anyway, as it is. But I'm looking forward to getting back at things. Um, and our world has changed, huh? So I had a rough night. I... Uh, had really weird dreams. I had kind of that light sleep where you know that you're dreaming, but you don't, uh, you're not fully awake. And of course I was dreaming about, uh, oh, all the craziness in the world and the COVID and all this stuff. And I woke up, I don't remember, it was still dark and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I popped on YouTube and a guy that I have met before, um, in my charismatic days, uh, came up, and I know he's got a lot of relationships with these guys that um, are recognized throughout the charismatic community as prophets. And the title of the video was, What Are the Prophets Saying? And I thought, well, I haven't listened. I'm curious. I'm curious if anybody has a beat on this, if anybody's really speaking for God on this in that particular camp. Uh, see, those people that think I've closed my mind or heart to all that, you're wrong. Uh, so I listened to a couple of them. And then uh, one of the ones I listened to was Lance Wall now. Lance, you know, kind of uh, knows a lot of those guys and collects a lot of their words and stuff. And it was all, you know, basically a lot of the same stuff. Uh, and, you know, most of it was somehow related to Trump, as though this virus got started in China as a direct uh, attack on President Trump because, of course, most of them have been prophesying his good fortune and good fortune for us under his presidency, and so they have to make sense of this, right? And then, uh, then of course, you know, kind of the, I'm, I'm giving you the themes, you know, it was an attack on Trump's presidency to try to get him out of office so that he wouldn't be uh, reelected, drain the swamp, expose, whatever. The second one was it was God's way of chastising the church for not being the church. There, there was a lot of that, that this was way God's uh, uh, sort of attention-getting mechanism for the church, so the church would quit being lukewarm. Uh, and then, of course, it, uh, everybody, just about everybody, said it was going to be a um, uh, short-lived that it was going to be over quickly and that it was going to set the stage, prepare the way for, of course, the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we've ever seen. And that that's kind of the general feel out there that I'm getting from what the prophets are saying, um, at least from what I was looking at this morning. And so then I, I laid there. And after that, I had a series of uh, just experiences that I'm still trying to get my, my mind around. So I'm going to go ahead and put my, ten, my two cents in on this. Um, you know, what do we make of this? So I listen to these prophet, prophet guys, you know, all these people are saying, you know, this is going to be over shortly. This is overblown by the media. This is an attack on Donald Trump. This is 
preparing the way for the grace outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which I've been hearing for 30 years and still haven't seen, no matter what the crisis is. And so I thought, well, I'm going to check their track record because I know all these guys, you know, and I only checked on a couple of them, but uh, I know they were prophesying stuff for 2020. I wonder if anybody saw this coming. So I went back and looked at their videos. That's a great thing now, you know, the videos are posted. And I went back to December, January with a few of them, and I wanted to see, um, you know, anybody foresee this coming? Anybody predicting this that's speaking into it now prophetically? And not really. I mean, you know, prophetic ministry is always so vague. Like there was one guy, uh, he was saying two storms are coming in 2020. But... He then goes on to define those storms sort of loosely, but uses his language very carefully. You know, I see two storms, had a vision, I was standing, I saw these storms coming at us. Uh, and then he's a strong Trump supporter, so of course he was saying the first storm was already um, beginning with all the investigations and the impeachment and all that stuff. So he was speaking to that, and then uh, was talking about sin and corruption being exposed in the church, and he was also involved with the whole Todd Bentley issue. So he's kind of speaking to that. So the, the thing I noticed that was consistent in all of them was they were speaking to events that were pretty easily um, predictable. I mean, obviously, there was already a political storm. There's always a political storm. Um, and there's always going to be, quote, unquote, sin and corruption and leadership in the church. That stuff's always there. So pretty easy to speak to that. And I'm quite sure... They will cut and paste the different parts about a storm coming somewhere down the road and say, yeah, God showed me COVID-19 was going to be a storm. I was talking to Julie about that and Julie, uh, made the point. She said, uh, she said, yeah, this isn't a storm. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. But as I was listening to that and laying there, it, it dawned on me that people, like this, and we all do this, and all have to be aware of this, but I think to make sense out of this, we need to understand that they're all prophesying according to their paradigm, according to their belief system about how things operate in the world. It's, it's one of the things when you go through any kind of a deconstruction process, which I certainly have the last uh, couple of years for sure, and a lot of you have as well that have followed me, and certainly if you've been coming to the Awakening Center, we've kind of gone through this together, but your religious indoctrination builds your entire life story as far as where you fit in the world and where you fit in the universe. So for these guys, you know, they are the ones to whom God reveals stuff. Uh, they love to quote Amos 3.3, God does not do anything but that he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. And so, you know, number one, they're Christian. Number two, they, they think they have the right doctrine. And then number three, they think they're seers and prophets, and so God has to speak to them first. So that really puts them, you know, at a, at a place where they're central <clears throat> to everything. <clears throat> and then they've constructed this paradigm about an end-time outpouring that they all believe in. They've constructed this paradigm about Trump and his place in God's plan as being a Cyrus or whatever the case may be. So they have this sort of ongoing prophetic paradigm and narrative that they're already working with. And so whenever anything happens, uh, anything unexpected, anything that gets in the way of that, then 
rather than letting go of that paradigm and taking a fresh look at things, or maybe even allowing God to speak outside of that paradigm, what they do is they they literally hear the Spirit of God within that paradigm. I'm not saying that they're not tapping into the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit transcends form, right? It's one of the reasons that water and wind and fire in the Bible are all used to uh, as types of the Holy Spirit because they're, they're energies, they're free-flowing, and they can take any form. And the only way our conscious mind can <clears throat> comprehend anything is through symbol and metaphor and language. And so, and, and, and unfortunately, we live inside, we, in order to create our construct of the world, we pattern symbols, we pattern metaphors, and we pattern language into a way of thinking, into a model of the world, a way that we model the world, the way that we see the world, and then we are stuck operating within the confines of that pattern and of that model. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's going to speak to us through that particular pattern or that particular model. So Jesus uh, will, the, the Christ energy will come to someone in the form of Jesus because that's the archetype and the pattern and the model that they're operating off of. But you'll find that Jesus is very different to Christians around the world. So, for instance, if you read mystics from the first few centuries, Jesus is a very different character to them um, than Jesus, maybe if you read Jesus that Teresa of Avila knew and was having encounters with, or certainly St. Francis of Assisi, um, Meister Eckhart, these are just some of the names of Christian mystics. Um, they all had encounters with Jesus. They all heard the Holy Spirit. They all had ecstatic counters, out-of-body experiences, all this stuff. And the Jesus of Teresa of Avila, let's say, is very different than the, than the Jesus of Francis of Assisi. And the Jesus of Francis of Assisi is very, very different than the Jesus of Lance Wallnau or Rick Joyner. And so you have to ask yourself, well, you know, if, if Jesus is truth, how, how does this happen? And I think we have to remember that that the the presence, the energy of the Holy Spirit is coming and has to work within our paradigm. And the more entrenched and committed we are to our paradigm, then the more distortion uh, or the more what we hear and experience we have to take and try to fit within the context of that paradigm. There is another way of looking at prophetic ministry, and and this is where I think think we have a problem. Everybody wants to hear from the Lord. What is the Lord doing? What is the Lord saying? What is the Lord doing with this, you know, this virus and this this global pandemic and stuff like that? And maybe there's a place for prophetic ministry that isn't all about just hearing what God's saying to current events. Uh, and so I want I want to come at this from two different directions. I want to come at it from first the direction of speaking uh, not about the future, but opening our eyes so that we can see a potential future possibility that has not yet been set. And to somehow be able to hope for and reach for and speak <clears throat> about a future that we create together. Um, 
prophets in the Bible were always speaking to the highest potentials in humanity. Sure, they would be critiquing the lowest parts of human nature that they were seeing and experiencing, but they would also speak to the highest points of that. They would visualize almost a utopia. And maybe there's a place where we just get past the rhetoric of our own paradigm and keeping humanity and God boxed within that paradigm. And maybe we open up our consciousness to the possibility of a brighter and better future. The the entire world is focused on the same thing right now. We really are fighting a world war against a common enemy that is invisible and that is a virus. I saw that China was sending aid to Pakistan uh, to help them during the COVID-19 crisis. Um, it would just be interesting to see the world that could emerge, the possibilities and the potentials for the world to emerge. And why can't we be speaking to that? That's the first part of it, but I, I don't want to get too much off on that because I want to talk about a different paradigm. Because I think one of the things that prophetic, real prophetic ministry does is it gets outside the predominant paradigm. Uh, Jeremiah is a perfect example of this. Jeremiah gets thrown into prison by the king because he's going around and telling the uh, Jews that uh, God has sent the Babylonian army and that they're not going to be victorious, they're not going to win the war, and that they need to go over to the Babylonian side, that if they go over to Babylon and get carried into Babylon, that they will have a good life, their lives will be preserved and their life will be good. So it's a good prophecy. It's not a bad prophecy. It's a, it's a prophecy that's there to bring life and preservation and healing for the people and to end the war and to bring peace. But it wasn't coming about the way the king and the prophetic paradigm that the king was operating under wanted it to come about because the king's circle of prophets were telling him that he was go that they were going to be victorious. And so Jeremiah is perceived as an enemy and he's put into prison, he's exiled. And he's exiled because he's speaking a word, a prophetic word about the future, a prophetic word about things, a prophetic word about the structure of reality that is completely different and contrary to the prevailing or predominant prophetic paradigm at the time. And of course we know <coughs> that Jeremiah turns out to be right and all the other prophets turned out to be wrong, but that's in hindsight. Everybody can see the shift after it happens. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Pro prophetic people should be able to, sh to sense and detect and see the shift before it happens. And maybe there's a place for getting outside the paradigm and speaking. So here's, what's the paradigm? Because all these guys are obsessed with one thing. Sin, fall, and redemption. Sin, fall, and redemption is the governing paradigm in Western Christianity for sure. It's the governing paradigm. And I want to redefine maybe some terms and look at what paradigm what other paradigm might be emerging that we can trust. So this paradigm, this structure of reality, this idea of the cosmos begins with the Garden of Eden story where Adam and Eve are living in this perfect paradise and they talk to a serpent and they eat from the wrong tree and they die because God told them in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Um, and the Apostle Paul uses that story 
in Romans chapter 5 to talk about sinfall and redemption. Now, there's no reason to highlight Romans chapter 5 as the dominant text for understanding who Jesus was, for understanding the Christian faith. But because of the Reformation and the battle that was going on with justification by faith, Martin Luther and we're the heirs of that, it really did become the governing paradigm, sinful redemption, salvation. And so starting with Augustine in about the 4th century, um, the Garden of Eden story was used to vilify women. It was used to vilify sex and sexuality, human expression of that. It was used to explain um, that we're all born with Adam's sin nature, that we're all born in original sin. We're born with a nature that is contrary to God, that doesn't want to do things in line with the heart of God at all. Um, Augustine was kind of the original grace preacher. He's the one that's saying, you know, there's nothing we can do to please God. The ability to even choose God comes by God's grace. That's how totally corrupt we are. And he believed that that corruption was passed through sex. Well, if you read his book, uh, The Confessions, he was, uh, he had a lot of problems. He had a lot of pathologies. And so did Martin Luther, by the way. Martin Luther had a lot of psychological pathologies. If you just read their writings as a psychologist and evaluate their mental condition, it's easy to see that they projected their pathology, or let me say it this way, they injected their pathologies into Western theology, Western Christian thinking. And so the starting place is what we call the fall. Now, if you go back and you read the fall story, um, Adam and Eve were going to die anyway, because God's concern, the reason he, he takes them out of the garden was not so much because because they had eaten at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Go back and read the text. It was because he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever. He was barring them from eternal life. So if that, that, that then says they didn't have eternal life to begin with. Secondly, the word sin isn't even mentioned in the text. Sin doesn't come along until later when you're dealing with Cain and Abel. But anyway, so this becomes the, the governing paradigm. This becomes the lens, the structure through which we see God, through which we see ourselves, through which we see the cosmos, and through which we see spirituality. Now, another thing to mention is that the Bible was not put together by Moses. Moses, we don't have any copies that go back to Moses. Moses didn't write it. Uh, I know hardcore fundamentalists want to tell us that he did, but the evidence is completely and totally against it. The evidence is clear that the Bible was put together sometime during the reign of King Josiah and King Hezekiah. This is while the this is during the the ministry of Jeremiah. This is during uh, the ministry of the prophets. Your, your entire Bible comes out of this idea of the Babylonian exile. And the Jews being put into exile and trying to understand why their temple was destroyed, why their city was destroyed, why they were being taken captive when God had promised that David would always have a son who would sit on the throne, that they would be the head and not the tail, whatever else. And so what happens is, is they begin to blame, look for fault. And it's very much like the book of Job. They start pointing out sin there must be some fatal flaw within us. There must be some problem within us. And curing that problem is the key then to getting back to prosperity. Curing that problem is the key 
to getting the glory of God, which had left the temple out of exile. Is everybody following this, or am I just kind of rambling too much? <laughs> I think I'll take a minute and give you guys a chance to respond. I'm kind of bouncing all over the place. I'm seeing likes and loves, so I'm, I'm guessing that means everybody's following this, okay? So the point is, the point I'm trying to make is that what then happened is God becomes crafted in the image of the state. Um, God's primarily interested in a set of rules and regulations that will maintain a societal structure, maintain prosperity, maintain safety. And basically, like any government would, any government ruler would, uh, you know, and that's where these archetypes come from. These archetypes with God as judge of all the earth and king of all the earth and sitting on a throne. These are all ancient, ancient archetypes that are governmental archetypes. And so that's what emerges as the dominant pattern. That's the archetype that emerges from the collective unconscious that dominates the pattern and the paradigm of sinfall and redemption. So the problem is, we're all in sin. We're all in part of this fallen humanity. That's why things are screwed up like they are. And so we need a redeemer. We need a savior. And so Jesus um, fulfills that role. He fulfills another archetype, uh, the archetype of the hero coming in and redeeming us and saving us. And yet somehow we're still in the same screwed up mess we were always in. <laughs> so Jesus comes uh, dies on the cross, saves us, ascends into heaven, uh, sits on the throne to rule and reign, and we're waiting for the second coming, been waiting on the second coming for 2,020 years. Every Bible prophecy teacher since the time of the Apostle Paul has been absolutely, should be written off as a false prophet because they've been absolutely false about the return of Jesus Christ. But it's because we're still looking for hope. So, so then what's our part to play in this? So then our part to play, it depends on who you listen to. It can just be by grace through faith. It can be by, by grace through faith and works. Uh, maybe there's baptism involved. Um, everybody kind of keeps changing the rules. Uh, but I think everyone would agree that there has to be repentance. Everyone in that camp would agree there has to be repentance. So you have sin. You have fall, the fall. You have the curse and all the problems of the fall. Then you have redemption being brought through Christ, and then you have our response, which is repentance. So I want to pick that apart just a little bit. First of all, the word the word sin, the way we use sin, like how do we even know what's a, what a sin is? How, how do we define it? People say, well, look to the Bible. Well, that's great, because there's lots of people all over that are looking at the Bible that define sin very differently. Um for the most part, for the biblical writers, sin was breaking the Torah, uh, the law. And that included predominantly, and you can see this in the book of Galatians, you can see this in Acts chapter 15, you can see this in other parts of the Bible, Romans. Predominantly, they were concerned with dietary laws. I know that seems strange to us right now, but they, they were concerned with the <clears throat> eating unclean things. Think about... Um, Peter, when he has a vision in Acts chapter 10, he sees a cloth come down and it's got all kinds of uh, food that had been deemed as being unclean. And God says, don't, don't call unclean that which I have cleansed. 
So really what, what sin for them had to do a lot with breaking the, the Torah, God's covenant with Israel. And then we kind of adopt variations of that. Nobody really is going around harping on anybody's food orientation. Nobody's really going around harping on, oh, my God, they're eating pork and bacon. Uh, oh, my God, that's an abomination. Listen, the same scriptures that say homosexuality is an abomination say that eating uh, bacon is an abomination. That allude to the fact, and this is extrapolated by the rabbis, that having a cheeseburger is an abomination because you're mixing your... your uh, Dairy and your meat. A pepperoni pizza is an abomination. You're not supposed to have any of that stuff. So, so it's all cherry picking. It's all picking and choosing. But in the Greek, the word is hamartia, and we're frequently told it means it's an archery term that means to miss the mark, and that's just BS. That's just somebody's uh, outdated Bible dictionary or Bible commentary. Uh, hamartia was a very common idea in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, it comes out of drama and plays and literature, particularly tragedies. And Aristotle and others in the Greek-speaking world that predate Christ defined hamartia as the fatal flaw within the hero character that would cause them to engage in activities that would set off a chain reaction that would lead to their own demise. So you can think of any of... Uh, Shakespeare's tragedies, uh, usually there's a turning point in there where the character makes a decision. Uh, Hamlet, for example, his indecisiveness to be or not to be uh, ultimately leads to his ruin. Frankenstein's a good one. Dr. Frankenstein, his hubris to become the greatest scientist that ever lived, to, to play God, to give life, uh, ultimately causes him to create a monster that he cannot control. So hamartia is very individual. Sin is very individual. Sin, your fatal flaw may be totally different than my fatal flaw. But ultimately, it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with this governmental archetype that we've given it, where it's following the law or following something that's external to ourselves and messing up on somebody's list and God getting pissed off and sending us to eternal prison for that. So that's the first thing is, is hemertia. And then the second thing is repentance. What is repentance? And this is kind of, kind of bring things back around. What is repentance? The word repentance in the Greek is metanoia. Metanoia basically means to get outside your own paradigm. Get outside your own model of reality. Now we translate it, or it comes from the Latin word repent, comes from the word penance or penalty, has to do with punishment again repenting, repenalizing yourself, the idea of medieval Catholic penance. Now we have charismatic penance. you got to cry and moan and over what the church told you was the right or the wrong thing that you were doing um, because somehow God was displeased. Somehow God was upset and God was coming. That's why God's... And see, that's where these guys are prophesying from that paradigm. God's bringing this to bring the church out of their sin. God's bringing this to get us to not be lukewarm. God's uh, bringing this because of this, that, and whatever. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a penalty. It's a judgment because somehow we have so offended God and God's own people have so offended Him. And you can hear them thundering and prophesying according to that paradigm and the energy of the Spirit will be there. Because uh, God's speaking according to the paradigm 
that they're within and their paradigm was for an age. But the word repentance, when Jesus said repent for the kingdom of God is here, the word repentance there means to shift your paradigm. It means to get completely outside of the paradigm that you've been in in order to receive something from heaven, in order to hear something, if you will, from the Spirit of God, in order to enter a state of consciousness that you've never been in before. The kingdom is not a place that you go to because Jesus never said. I mean, the whole message, go back and read it, man. Look at what Jesus preached. Just open your Bible to Mark chapter 1. It said, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is, and now is the time. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right now. Uh, and then he's telling people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Luke 17, he says, don't, the kingdom of heaven doesn't come with observation. You're not going to be able to look in an event. It does not come by witnessing. It does not come because somebody saw Jesus raise from the dead. If it did, then it comes with observation and Jesus was lying, flat out lying in Luke 17. But he says the kingdom doesn't come with observation. The kingdom is within you. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 that he's preaching the word of God. And that is that Christ is inside every individual. Christ in you. Christ is the archetype of the hero. Christ is the archetype of the savior. He's saying, look, quit looking outside yourself for someone to come and save you and realize that salvation lies within. The treasure of the kingdom lies within you. The light of God is within you. Christ is the light that gives light to every person that comes into the world. And so the kingdom of heaven is not a place that you go to. It's a place that you come from. The kingdom of heaven is a state of consciousness that we enter into that's not dependent on anything that's going around on around us. It's, it's not dependent upon the economy. It's not dependent upon health or sickness. Uh, and so many of us are being captivated in our minds by fear, dominated by fear and worry, captivated in our minds, focusing and meditating on our... Uh, my sister Jackie calls it the, the Google scroll of doom. We used to call it the Rolodex of doom. Uh, those of you that are old enough to remember Rolodexes, you have a Rolodex of doom in your mind where you just start uh, flipping through. Excuse me, where you just start flipping through all the crazy shit that you think's going to happen. <clears throat> all the bad stuff that you think's going to happen in your life, you start rolling it through. Uh, and then we started working with younger people and we figured out they didn't know what Rolodexes are. So we started calling it the Google page of doom. <laughs> and so those things captivate our mind. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a state of consciousness. Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. See, because they're thinking morally in terms of what you're eating, what you're drinking. He says the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. In the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's a state of mind, it's a state of consciousness. But it can only come when you get outside the paradigm. So actually, Jesus is challenging the whole sin, redemption, fall, exile paradigm of the Pharisees throughout the scriptures. See, here's our problem. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees. And he did more to promote Christianity and make Christianity what it is today than Jesus did. It's absolutely true. And Paul thought like Pharisee. So when you're reading his stuff, it's all sinful redemption. It's all exile. It's all Pharisaical. But if you read the other Gospels, Jesus is in direct contention with the Pharisees the entire time. Jesus is a, a Middle Eastern mystic, a Middle Eastern wisdom teacher who is talking about 
a complete transformation of the mind, a complete transformation of consciousness, an entirely different paradigm shift. And so what I'd like to suggest to you that's emerging, I believe this with all my heart, what's emerging, <clears throat> what, what we've had, gang, it's not working. It, it's, it hasn't worked. And it's dying. It's dying off. The sinful redemption, as much as people want to promote it, as much as they want to propagate it, as much as they want to talk about a remnant, that thing is dying out and something new is emerging. And I think that we can have a spirituality that is much bigger than sinful or redemption. And maybe we need to go back to the garden and not look at original sin, but we need to look at the original blessing that God created humanity in his image and he blessed them he blessed them he empowered them the word blessing there means he empowered them to prosper he empowered them to do well he empowered them to be fruitful he said be fruitful multiply fill the earth subdue it be kings and gods upon the earth and then he put his breath in us and he blessed us and empowered us to go out and do that maybe that's where we begin. Maybe we begin with God's blessing on creation. Maybe we begin with God looking at everything and seeing, behold, it is very good. Maybe we let go of the duplicity. God, God is bringing forth and birthing something that's so much bigger than our tiny little group. So much bigger than our tiny little group that we're trying to get to live right. We're just angry curmudgeons. I mean, a lot of these prophets are just angry old white men, angry old curmudgeons. That are just pissed off because the world isn't conforming to their pattern and their prophecies. And their God is angry, so they're coming out as angry and putting all kinds of stuff out there and into the atmosphere. There's got to come a different voice. There, there's got to come a different kind of prophetic voice. And there's a different paradigm that's emerging. A paradigm maybe that doesn't see God primarily as judge. A paradigm that maybe doesn't see Christ primarily as savior and king. Because it doesn't begin with original sin, it begins with original blessing. Maybe it's more about spirituality and creation-centered spirituality. If you think about it in the Western culture, we're predominantly, we think about economy, politics. We think about how we can make our lives easier with um, new inventions and all kinds of stuff, and we really have gotten out of step, maybe more so than our ancestors. We've gotten out of step with creation. We've gotten out of step with nature. And maybe this is nature's way of kind of reminding us that who's, who's in charge. <laughs> that maybe we're not as, uh, we're not the hot shots that we thought we were, and maybe we can't continue to live in disharmony, uh, with nature and really prosper. Maybe there's a place. Maybe this is kind of nature's way of putting us in timeout. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not trying to be prophetic. I'm just saying. Maybe this is nature's way of putting us in timeout for a while. Saying just stay home for a while. Let some of the pollution clear up. Let some of the water clear up. Uh, let the earth kind of renew and regenerate itself. I don't know. Um, I'm just putting that thought out there that, that may resonate with you that may not resonate with you but i definitely do believe that there is a a new paradigm that is emerging why would god why would the god who created if you, if you just start with creation don't even start with the bible start with creation why would the god who created the universe all the galaxies such an expansive mysterious giant place um 
why would God uh, create? Mm, such an expanse of, you know, all the different kingdoms. You look at the sea, look at all the things that are in the sea, look at all the things that are, uh, all the creatures, all the fish, look at the flowers, look at all the diversity that is out there. Why would that creator be locked into one paradigm and one form and one message? Why would God create so much diversity in creation and then want us all to conform to the same pattern? Why would that God come up with a plan for humanity that would endanger them for all eternity if they didn't follow a certain set of rules or believe a certain set of doctrines? And then why would he hide himself and make it so difficult to discover that for the vast majority of humanity. Now, it's easy for you if you believe, if you're stuck in the sinful redemption pattern, it's easy for you to sit there and say, I'm I'm good, man. I, I mean, Jesus got the gospel to me, and God's in control, and God's going to get it out to everybody. But you're very much in the minority. i, I got to tell you, Christians, you are not the majority, even if you count Catholics and Greek Orthodox Christians, every Christian on the planet, liberal Christians... <laughs> You're very much in the minority, and if you have to, if people have to conform to your group, fit your idea of what doctrine is, you're even more in the minority. And you're telling me the God that created all that is just going to save you, just save a few of us, and let the rest of us go to hell. I just don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. But at the same time, I haven't let go of God, my faith in God. I haven't let go of my faith in Christ. I haven't even let go of the scriptures. I just think there's a different way to look at it. There's a different way to see it. There's a different way to understand it. And I want to encourage us to open our hearts to maybe embrace that. It's good to challenge things. Challenge your paradigms. Don't be afraid to challenge your paradigms. Um, our fatal flaw, our hamartia might be that we get so locked into a paradigm that it produces our own destruction, and we don't even realize it because we're so committed to it. We get so drawn to particular archetypes politically. We get drawn to certain archetypes religiously, and those archetypes dominate in our mind and in our thinking. And I think it's a good time for us to just let everything be put on reset. And maybe, just maybe, this new paradigm can also serve us well while we're in this time. Maybe it can allow us to hear and see and experience things from the Spirit of God that empower us to be creative and influential in the new world as it emerges, rather than taking the events and trying to make them fit our paradigm. So... That's what was on my heart. That was what was on my mind for today. Um, any feedback on that? Anybody got anything they want to offer or throw out there before we, um, before I sign off here? I hope I didn't ramble too much and bore you and put you to sleep. I'm just wait and see here. Oh, I'm not seeing as people are. Let me go all the way down. 
Here we go. Yeah, great comments. Great comments in there. Be your own original. Um, that's something else I think that we can do right now is just um, maybe reinvent ourselves. You know, it might be a good time to think about what do we want to change about ourselves? What do we want to make different? And how can we uh, reevaluate priorities and things right now? So anyway, thanks, guys, for listening to me ramble. Um, I think we're going to be putting a link on here to a Zoom party in a little bit. Uh, I don't know how many people you can have on Zoom. We got 57 watching right now. I don't know if we can have all 57 of you in there, but we'd love to hear from you. Um, so anyway, we're going to try and just have some fellowship time. Uh, I love each and every one of you. Um, growing in love for people, I think, every day. And, uh you know, part of my calling, part of my mission is to just challenge existing paradigms. That's always where I've been at and where I've operated from. Um, and that's not always, that's not always, uh, butterflies and daisies and unicorns and rainbows. Um, I do think that old limiting us and them paradigm is coming down and there's a more expansive, compassionate, and universal way to think. If nothing else, I think we should, rather than thinking about our group versus their group right now, while the world is facing this, you realize the vast majority of the world is facing the same enemy because we're understanding our common brotherhood as human beings. But sadly, those who are prophesying for Christ are using this to fit their narrative to strengthen their paradigm of us against them. Sociologists and anthropologists tell us that it was originally disease that created tribalism to begin with. That somehow you're okay with your, when you're with your, with your own, but you go out and hug a stranger, uh, and suddenly you get sick, and so it was perceived that strangers were bringing sickness and disease, and that's where tribalism and this whole us against them thing probably originated anyway. So let's be careful. Let's don't, I don't think we should call this a Chinese virus. I think that does lend itself to xenophobia. Uh, this is no longer, it may have originated in China, and I get the argument there, but this is not a Chinese virus. This is a virus that is no respecter of persons. And uh, I think we need to embrace our brothers and sisters around the world in our hearts with compassion. And let's start imagining, let's do this. Let's spend our days, maybe the next week, spend some time just imagining a new world post-coronavirus that's safe and prosperous for everybody, huh? Let's just imagine, just in our imaginations, what's that future look like? What's a, what's a future look like with that? All right, gang. Love you all. I'm going to be uh, signing off. Um, thank you all so much for watching, and uh, I'll catch you later.